0: The Equest Podcast. Funds Industry Conversations. Hello podcast listeners and welcome to the Equest Podcast with me, Danny Lawler. If you're new to the show, please do make sure to subscribe and also feel free to share and like as you wish. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Sanyamondo, who is a legal expert with a particular interest and expertise in blockchain and smart contracts. Brian will shortly be heading towards the University of Nottingham to work on a PhD around blockchain and procurement, particularly public procurement. So I'm delighted to have him available to pick his brains at all things around blockchain, smart contracts, and even decentralized autonomous organizations, or DAOs, which is a new buzzword to me, uh, but a very interesting concept. So join us as we chat about all of those things this episode of the Quest Podcast. The Equest Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. Hello, Brian, you're very welcome to the Equest Podcast. It's great to have you.
1: Thank you so much, Danny. I'm equally excited and um, ready to rock and roll.
0: Ready to rock and roll. Well, I'm sure you are the guest from the most exotic location that we've had so far, being (laughs) in Trinidad.
1: Yes, Trinidad and Tobago, yes.
0: Uh, there's a TV show over here. It's a BBC show called Death in Paradise. I don't know if it ever makes its way to your side of the world, but it's set in uh, an idyllic uh, Caribbean island, but obviously right. involves in every episode of murder uh, of <laughs> a complicated natures. So uh, so I think a lot of people in this part of the world have uh, great fondness for what it might be like to live in the Caribbean.
1: Wow. <laughs> That's not the most idyllic thing to to be watching but yeah um it's it's Trinidad is a nice place and um you know everything happens everywhere so i will not put any um negative um attachments to my island but i guess that's um there's some things that come with island living it's it's a it's a it's a chilled out life we enjoy the sun we enjoy our rum and we enjoy our life as
0: it comes uh, but notwithstanding that, you're shortly to be joining us over here in this part of the world, uh, heading to Nottingham for uh, a PhD. Tell us a bit about uh, about the PhD and, and your area of expertise.
1: Right. So I will be starting my PhD at the University of Nottingham with their Public Procurement Research Group in September 2022, and my area of PhD will be focused on the use of blockchain in public procurement. So there there was a um, green paper that was re- released sometime in 2020 talking about um adverse changes in procurement law in England and Wales and um the UK this was post Brexit it it moved from the EU uh the EU regime and wanted to have something for itself so it's looking at things like having um a central database system uh, use of innovative technology and uh, such things. But what I found is um, in, the, in their responses, they did not look at uh, the, uh, the fourth industrial uh, revolution, technology that's being used in the fourth industrial revolution. And this, uh, this includes things like artificial intelligence, the internet of things, and most of all, blockchain and smart contracts because this is where the the disruption is. So blockchain has positioned itself as a very disruptive technology. And just before I go on with that, blockchain is classified under what you call um, distributed ledger technologies. So it's basically a ledger, but this uses um, uh, um, some... Sci- uh, some computer science. So it's, um, it's an immutable ledger that uses cryptographic signatures and hash functions. So it makes it an append only um, ledger. So once the data is, is written on it, it cannot, it's immutable, it's tamper resistant. So transactions are essentially grouped in things called blocks. And each block includes information from the previous block and it's chained together in such a sequence. So that's why the distributed ledger is called a blockchain. So it's basically information from block one is linked to block two to block three uh, and so forth. So if any information in let's say block two is changed by a bad actor, all the blocks show that there's something that's trying to be done to the block. So it's, it's a very transparent technology. And this is why I thought of it as um, something that will as- assist with procurement fraud and in terms of data management because yeah. it, it's also decentralized. And by decentralized, we, we mean there isn't a single point of failure. So the, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an open network that's distributed across the world uh, with, uh, um, across peer networks. A peer network basically means everybody is equal on the network. So you can be a reader and a writer at the same time. And there's no single point of failure, meaning even if one node on the peer-to-peer network collapses, everybody still has a copy of the entire ledger. So the, the show still goes on. So that's the long and short of it. So I thought this would be um, very uh, innovative, very disruptive to have this in the public sector because you know, especially during the COVID procurement times, there was um, talk about lots of um, fraud or big boy uh, political influence in transactions and whatever it is. I I don't want to get into that uh, sector of politics, But this is just a technology that's sort of bringing trustless transactions and um, adding a bit of confidence in everyday sort of transactions.
0: Yeah, it's it's interesting, Brian, because typically when outsiders like myself uh, hear about blockchain, it's usually in the context of cryptocurrencies and I guess Bitcoin in particular. And a lot of the news stories or the, the stories that make their way into more mainstream news when it comes to crypto, is around fraud and bad actors and money laundering and things like that. But actually, yeah. part you say with, with blockchain, it's based in cryptography, which is all yeah. about, um, making it very difficult to commit a fraud. Beg your pardon, commit a fraud. Uh, yes, so it, it is actually. You get beyond the noise. It is actually an incredibly secure and safe way to do what I guess you're, you're hoping you might be able to do in the procurement sector and in other areas in terms of creating records are, are immutable and not possible for people to, uh, to go in and tamper with and, and create a fraud.
1: Yes, totally. And um, just on that point, I would like to amplify what you said and to clarify as well that people know crypto. They don't know that the pinning technology is blockchain. And cryptocurrencies and um, blockchains, without using the name blockchains, existed for a while, but they only came out in, um, let's say, a finalized way in 2008 after a man called Satoshi Nakamoto solved something called the double spend problem. So this is what he says in his white paper it's we've proposed a system for electronic transactions based on cryptographic proof without relying on trust. We started with the usual framework of coins made from digital signatures, which provides strong control of ownership, but it's incomplete um, without a way to prevent double spending. So to solve this, we propose a peer-to-peer network using using proof of work. So proof of work, um, it's it's a consensus algorithm so it's it's a system where you have people called miners uh so a transaction is broadcasted in the system and then there's a computational puzzle that's being done by the miners and when the puzzle has been solved the 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 transaction is added to the block and the miner is is given an incentive is is rewarded uh using bitcoins so this is how it started so the, the 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 interrelation has to be understood that bitcoins the bitcoin protocol is made from blockchain so block uh, a blockchain is not bitcoin <laughs> so and so
0: yeah r- without giving the, the any secrets away brian on, on your your you know your, your work in terms of blockchain and procurement what is it that or, or how do you envisage a use case and the use for blockchain, particularly in relation to procurement? Right,
1: so essentially, if if you look at it from um, a point of view of supply chain and procurement, because supply chain and procurement are very interrelated, because one lives in the other and such and such thing. So it's it's in terms of data organization. You have uh, everybody coming to one place, putting in their records, and everything is transparent on the blockchain. So if there is, let's say, um, a tender, a a, a bid evaluation or something, all the information is on the chain. You can't have people coming to add records that are not on the blockchain because it will be known. And um, Mm. in terms of, um, let's say, uh, information requests, you know, uh, you ha- uh, uh, ordinarily you have to make an FOIA application to get X and Y sort of information, but on the blockchain, all this information is there because this is what the blockchain does. It it, it brings out full transparency. Okay, but at the same time, there's there's tensions with um, the laws of privacy and data protection because, and also with the GDPR actually because let's say there's the right to um erase a, uh, a ledger if, if 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 there's a mistake and the the blockchain is immutable how do you append something that uh, how, how do you amend a mistake how do you delete it if it's out there already you see if if, if a contract is supposed um, let's say in terms of the contracts the closes have to be uh, um updated or deleted or something in, in terms of contractual negotiations so how how do you do that when it's already deployed on the blockchain so this is my sort of study so the blockchain yes it's a it 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 brings out trust transparency and confidence but at the same time it has tensions who owns the data when it's on the blockchain uh, how does it interrelate with the uh, with the gdpr how does it um uh, in terms of money laundering and such things. Yeah, so how literally,
0: yeah. it's,
1: it's an overall understanding of the blockchain system. So we can't look at the blockchain system in supply chain and procurement in, in parts. You have to look at it as a whole because the, the blockchain is quite intricate. This is, I, I normally tell people, it's like electricity. So the use case is so wide and varied even within a particular use case. Because the blockchain is used to write data, but you have smart contracts that are self-executing codes as well. So you see the, the, the smart contracts are doing something extra from what yeah. the blockchain does.
0: Okay, I want to come to smart so, contracts in a second. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing, Brian, that you're the, you're the guy who's gonna figure out the answers to the questions about you know, the interrelationship with something like GDPR and how do you correct mistakes when you've got an immutable record? Um, and yeah. how do you delete and how do you change if if it's contrary to the whole um blockchain um methodology that, that you would do that kind of thing? Uh as yeah. a former public servant, uh I had occasion to dabble in procurement or or touch it, but yeah was never, never a very pleasant and easy experience. I wonder whether using blockchain makes it, makes it better for users, both in terms of organizations that are looking to procure and firms that are looking to submit tenders. Please, Brian, tell me it's gonna be easier.
1: <laughs> right, so blockchain simplifies, uh, simplifies the steps. So if in procurement you have a hundred steps, Blockchain. Let's say uh, I'm, I'm not saying this in exact in exactness, but let's say it reduces 100 steps to probably 30 steps. That that's the, um, that's progress, especially so in yeah. terms of data management, in terms of payments. So let's say with smart contracts, which we are heading to. So once the documents are on the blockchain and let's say, some of the conditions are fulfilled, then it triggers the next event, which is, let's say, a payment or whatever. So the smart contract says, if this happens, then the next thing happens. That's what the blockchain does. So in a procurement, so it simplifies the process.
0: Brian, smart contracts are like protocols that sit, sit over the blockchain and say, well, a if A plus B plus C happens, well, then we move to the next phase, as you said. So I guess- Exactly, yeah. What we're thinking about procurement, uh, you might say, well, here are the criteria for uh, assessment of the various submissions for, t- for the tenders. Uh, and so you get x amount of points for price and y for experience. And so you throw them through the, the algorithm, and it'll determine that A plus B plus C means that firm X has won the contract. And then you move exactly. that phase, which is either um, you know, you confirm dates or you have uh I don't know, a, the service contract, or you have a payment due or something like that.
1: Exactly. And even in terms of getting real-time information, so there's things like oracles, uh, which, are, which, which get actual information from the outside off-chain world and feed it to the smart contract. So the smart contract is always putting in accurate information because, you see, blockchain won't solve the problem if if you feed the blockchain with wrong information, wrong is equals wrong, okay? So when you use Oracles and the Internet of Things, which gets inaccurate information from out there and feeds it to the smart contracts and record it on the blockchain, this is where the, let's say, the the, the value proposition comes in. And um, for example, I'll give you uh, a use case. So IBM had, um, had a study it was conducting, and they were shipping some stuff from Kenya to some flowers actually from Kenya to England. So you're able to track the exact parcel of uh, flowers. Um, if 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 they're spoiled or whatever, it makes recollection easy. Or if there are multiple suppliers to this one uh, to this tender, you can know whose batch of whatever is not of good quality and whose is satisfactory so it, it makes from a commercial sense y- you know like ascertaining the goods are of quality or not of quality or whatever like it, it makes everything more accessible it, it it just gives you that ease of transaction you know
0: yeah and is is that information gathered via sensors or is it some physical inspection where uh, an input is is entered to say, I am I have viewed that shipment of flowers and I've determined that they're spoiled or they're in perfect condition. How does that information get from the the consignment into the uh, into the system?
1: Okay, so it so human input will always somehow be there so there's the devices okay so on the let's say on the box of flowers you have a barcode or a qr code that has to go through um let's say a qr code reader so the qr code reader let's say if if the flowers have moved from mombasa the port of mombasa to the port of ireland the uh, the the customs officer at ireland he he uh, uses his qr code reader to say OK, I've, I've received this. And let's say with, um, within the, the warehouse, the Internet of Things devices, which have sensors, will tell you uh, this is the temperature the flowers are in, this is uh, the current level. So there's that interaction between the two. So the, uh, there'll be human input at some point, like let's say holding the QR code reader, or it could also be fully automated. So if it's on a conveyor belt and whatever, and there's a sensor there, when, when it moves, the data is recorded because we are, we are looking at full automation. So we are just reducing the human input. And that's also what the smart contracts do. You are reducing human input by using self-executed codes.
0: And so when you direct your mind then to the possibilities for deployment of blockchain and smart contracts in the financial services world, which is where uh, myself and, and, and my colleagues uh, live. Um, what do you see there as the kind of most immediate use cases and deployments that we're likely to see or that you've come across?
1: Uh, in terms of blockchains and smart contracts?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. In terms of blockchains and smart contracts, you can see um, decentralized finance for example because decentralized finance it's so this this is the second um, uh, evolution of blockchains from the Bitcoin protocol you now had the ethereum protocol in around 2016 and they brought in smart contracts so this took finance to the next level so it's 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 sort of removing the need of a third party institution or a gatekeeping house, like a bank, a central bank, to giving financial freedom to the network participant. So you control your money, you you, you have custody. So things like um, custody, and um, Danny, you're the banker here. (laughs) So things that traditional finance institutions do, have all been sort of moved into simpler steps using smart contracts. So they can perform any sort of obligation as long as the code is properly written and the the conditions have been fulfilled. So you're seeing smart contracts in that. And then smart contracts have also evolved further into things called um, decentralized autonomous organizations. So basically DAOs are, as they're called, it's a cluster of s- smart contracts and DAOs have come to evolve corporate governance. So instead of having a traditional company, a director and a company secretary and the whole shabang, the whole traditional shaban, you have people investing in a project let's say the Danny Dao, and the Danny Dao is about um, improving water services in Ireland. So people invest in the Danny Dao, and let's say you come up with like 1 million pounds and we say with this 1 million pounds, uh, whatever you've, so you, so let's say you've invested 10,000 pounds. So everybody has a different level of investment. So it goes into this pool and tokens are issued depending on what you've invested. And it allows you to forward proposals. So like, um, let's say we want to see red water in whatever whatever form. So people make, uh, they vote on the protocol and say, we want this, we want that. And it's all based on smart contracts.
0: So you're, you're kind of laying the conditions in that instance for investment in advance. So you'll say, here are the parameters for how we will take the money that you've invested and deploy it in water infrastructure or whatever it is. It has to be yes. D, C and D. And because yes. it's determined all of this in advance and it's objective and presumably measurable, yes. there's no need for human intervention in between because, or you know, there's no opportunity for manipulation or Exactly. In the sense that you, will, you can only invest in accordance with the protocol and rules that you've agreed when you establish. Exactly. That.
1: Exactly. So um, un- unless, yes. So unless there's, um, let's say, something called a fork. So a fork is when, let's say, the, the people in the protocol don't agree on a proposal. You find some people going the other way. So um, you let's say have now the Danny Dao A and Danny Dao B. Yeah. So it splits. It, it's a bit technical to explain um, without uh, diagrammatic assistance, but it, it's, it's also, the, the code is not 100 and it's susceptible to bugs and it's, um, the understanding, the comprehension of computer language into, of, of natural language into computer language is also difficult because there are some things that are hard to explain on code because code is very rigid. So you still need some sort of um, wiggle room. Yes. But But uh, recently in England, um, the, the Law Commission, it... Um, it, it published a document on the use of smart legal contracts. So there's a, there's a, there's a small, um, there, there's a nuance. So there's smart contracts and smart legal contracts. So smart contracts are not per se um, legally enforceable, but now you have smart legal contracts which could be legally enforceable as long as the terms of the contract are precise. So it's you're applying the principles of contractual law in smart code. So there's this um, advancement in in technology. Yes.
0: And could you conceive then of, let's say, an investment product, so a fund product that has in advance uh, a smart contract and has its protocols written around what are the eligible um, securities or other types of investment it will invest in, what are the parameters around valuation? So how um, how will the securities be valued? Parameters around the liquidity of the underlying. So it has to have you know, a certain amount of liquidity in order for it to, to pass through the smart contracts and be eligible. Uh, and really based yeah. all of the rules that we would typically see in our world of financial services and investment funds uh, that are at the moment would be placed on effectively the individuals in the in the management company, in the investment manager to. To make sure, well, if there's, you know, I'll, I'll have to check that these assets are, are eligible. I'll have to check we're not breaching any investment restrictions. But you could write no. all that into smart contracts and protocols. And then the fund would well, quite run autonomously. But but you'd certainly have a much closer, from a regulatory point of view, uh, control over it. Because there isn't the same possibility for individuals to uh, misbehave or take liberties with the, with the rules that the regulator expects to be applied with.
1: Yes, I, I totally agree. So when it comes to that, that that, that is superb when, uh, when it comes to the application of smart contracts. The only problem that they have, and <laughs> not quite the only problem, um, like I had alluded to, the blockchain and smart contracts, they are cross-jurisdictional. So you will have jurisdictional issues so let's say with the financial uh, action task force there's an expectation um you you have to register if if you are a vasp or mm. um let's say there's this thing called a, uh, the travel rule so if some sort of transaction is being conducted there's a there's a reporting requirement in the in the within the next jurisdiction but there's some countries that are not part of this jurisdiction, or they're expected to be, but they're not following the regulation. So the enforcement of this regulation is tough. And also the the, the legal precedent, or we don't have legal precedent per se, maybe one or two, but you don't have proper guidance. Um, in terms of where this technology is. Because you see, innovation is always ahead of technology. So we still need case law that um, tells you what to do when you're interacting with the blockchain. And if it's within the other jurisdiction, what, what law or regulation does the other jurisdiction apply? And even in England, um, when it comes to like cryptocurrencies, for example, the, the law is not so tight, it's, 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 it's sort of ambiguous. So there was recently, um, was it a consultation that came out and um, they're saying they will um, extend it to apply to crypto assets in, in, in whole. But this just shows you like smart contracts, decentralized finance, yes, they're moving very fast, but the law is also moving quite
0: slow. Nothing new there, Brian. Um, let's wrap it up because'm I'm, I'm conscious uh, that time is against us, but the right. issues you've identified, Brian, sound like ones that are fixable over time with some effort and experience as opposed to irresolvable. Uh, and if yes. that's the case, where where do you see us in kind of five years' time when it comes to the deployment of blockchain and smart contracts? Will everybody more or less kind of have a, an understanding of what those terms mean. And we'll see them in action in their in their lives, right?
1: So I think in five years' time we'll be uh, light years ahead com- in uh, compared to now, because there's been more uptake and uh, the consumers, uh, rather the investors in in blockchain and in cryptocurrency, people want this thing, and you can see it's it's let's say when the internet came in um, in in the nineties and let's say. The two thousand um, dot com boom. It's we are at such a position right now. So blockchain is still at a very infant stage, but it's growing, and the things that it can do are disruptive. So you just need to have this um, understanding, consumer awareness, institutional awareness that allows ethical adoption. And uh, just to round it up again, this is where my study comes in as a PhD, the theoretical adoption of blockchain in the public and let's say private sector, what it, it can actually do. So the technology, it's now here and it won't go anywhere. So what can we do as regulators to make it friendly and to protect the consumers? So let's say protecting consumers when Uh, an exchange has been hacked, or uh, the code has failed or something uh, similar. So what can we do to protect the people? Governments have been shying away and having this uh, sort of uh, fear mongering campaign saying, if you invest in crypto, if you're doing this, we are not going to be involved in that. You know, it's it's a sort of fear tactic, but it, it shouldn't be a fear tactic, and institutions should come together, like traditional finance done in your world, and let's say the decentralized finance world, people need to come together and figure the way forward. So if we move in, in, uh, in such a joint approach, in five years' time, we are going to be very far, and also the discussions around the central bank digital currencies will, will, will be more advanced than they are now because people are still on this, uh, you know, jittery, not sure yeah. where everything is going. Yeah. But I, let's, let, let's move in a joint approach and work together and things will be better off.
0: I think so. I think that there is enough capital both in terms of financial, but especially in terms of brain power of very clever people who are putting their efforts into developments and innovations in this whole sector so i think it's inevitable that there will be huge advancements sooner rather than later and the regulation uh, and oversight will will catch up well it'll never get never get too but it'll it'll go far enough that um it'll allow mass adoption um, yes. and in our next episode brian because i definitely want to get you back i'm very interested in all of this from an ethics perspective so Uh, Okay. That under your hat and we'll catch up and chat about that next time.
1: Thank you so much, Danny. It was lovely being on the show.
0: Well, thank you very much, Brian. Really appreciate your time and your insights on uh, the show. Thank you very much, listeners, uh, for tuning in to this episode. we catch you next time on the Equest Podcast. The Equest Podcast. Funds Industry Conversations.